This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's my pleasure to welcome you to The Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Now, today's Friday. You know what that means? It's time for my favorite segment of the week on our podcast, Clark Stinks. We're going to talk about that in a second. And get to talk about something I love, love, love later, and that's travel. There's a new way of screening you at airports being tested that I'm really excited about, and I'll fill you in. So Clark Stinks has been with us for a long, long time because, well, I have sometimes some unusual opinions. There are times I have harebrained ideas. There are times I stick my nose too far out being excited about something or complaining about something. And it gives an opportunity for me to get the kind of feedback that's so helpful to me and your fellow listener. And that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. So Krista goes through all the things people have posted at Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you right here on the podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right. You made a few people upset when you talked about cruises. I've always enjoyed listening to the show and appreciate the information provided. But recently, Clark talked about how terrible the cruise lines are treating their customers that catch COVID on the ship. Clark agreed that this is a ridiculous treatment, and I hope the cruise lines fix this policy, yet talks about going on a cruise in the same breath. Seriously? It's obvious these tyrant companies could care less about people and just want your money, and Clark is first in line to give it to them. It makes your words empty and meaningless, and no name attached to that one. All right. Well, thank you, no name. I I should mention, if you've not heard, one of the cruise lines has ceased operations It's gone insolvent because of COVID, and that's Crystal. And we actually have one of our team members who is booked to go on Crystal next week, I Mm -hmm. guess. And uh, she's obviously not going, and we were talking about her money. And this is a very rough time in the cruise industry. And I was piling on, obviously, talking about, so why would I be going on a cruise? Our teenage son loves going on cruises more than, I think, breathing. He loves them. We were on the first cruise June 4th of last year, the first one to resume after cruises were basically shut down for 16 months, and it was the time of his life. And his spring break is coming up, and, you know, I I try to bring into each of my children's lives particularly when they're living under our roof. I try to bring them fantastic experiences. And for him, this is so exciting. For me, it's not really my thing. Um, 
I find how I find how to enjoy pretty much anything in life. I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy if I was in prison, but I try to enjoy most anything. I mean, I even make it fun when I'm at a doctor's waiting room talking to other people. So um, the idea, though, on a cruise of being locked in some um, holding cell, if I tested positive for COVID, uh, windowless drab, little below the sea level cabin, I mean, what are the cruise lines thinking? I mean, it's just really, really bad idea. So then again, why am I going? Because I do these things for my kids. Clark doesn't stink, but I thought he'd get a laugh out of this anecdote. I was in my car, in a car with my five-year-old daughter sitting in the back seat. My iPhone connected to the car stereo through Apple CarPlay. The podcast app was open, but not playing. And Clark's photo from the podcast cover art was on the screen. Looking at the screen, my daughter proudly said, I know who that is. It's Clark. And I responded, very good. Do you know what his last name is? She thought intensely for a moment and then proclaimed, stinks. <laughs> and that's from Brian. Okay, excellent. <laughs> While Clark isn't foul, he often makes a faux pas when discussing lifespan. He should be using life expectancy as that is the number of years a person is estimated to live based on data. Lifespan is the number of years the human body could survive. So it's a nit, but always makes me shake my head as Clark should know better. And that's from Mutt. Huh. I, I've, have you knew that already? I'm um, not familiar with that. I never thought about it really, but I guess like there's but a book. I should book... never call it lifespan, call it life expectancy. Yeah. There's a really cool book called Lifespan by a scientist that gives some really fascinating information about living longer. So there was something recently I was reading and I put in this calculator, how long I'm likely to, what my remaining life expectancy is. And I thought it was really exciting how long it said I was going to continue to live. And I told Lane it just upset her because it was like, this is my likely termination date instead of, hey, look how much longer I got to live. See, I thought it was a positive. Clark spoke about the challenging situation of trying to get furniture and reminding us rightly not to buy if you have to wait. Clark said because most furniture stores come from Asia and he named several countries. What Clark did not mention, which is why I had to write, was to say, buying American made. What products are sitting in ships off the coast? Not American ones. Why not also encourage your listeners to buy American made? And if there are challenges there too, then Clark, tell us about them. But let's not forget to buy right here in the U.S. And that's from Janice. Janice, thank you. And it goes without saying that having localized supply chains, forget the patriotic aspect of it, but we've learned the value through these last two years of covid that we have lost something, and in some cases we've lost national security by not having localized supply and manufacturing chains. And that's something that as a country, we should really be putting serious attention and focus on is how do we improve our domestic security by having domestic production? You know, I've got such the mind of what I learned in economics and I'm such a free trader. And so if you look at just raw economics, it's generally much more efficient for whoever makes products the most efficiently in the marketplace to produce them, but it ignores 
the value, particularly with anything that would be strategic for us, like computer chips, that they should be sourced domestically, not overseas, where it could be an enemy that is holding back supply or putting in spyware in the chips or any of a number of different things. And if you look at things strictly from economics, you miss the patriotic angle and you miss the homeland security angle. Clark, you've mentioned a couple of times that kids need to get back into the classroom so they can learn social skills with their peers. I have to respectfully disagree. Kids aren't going to learn how to act as an adult from other kids. What they need is more work experience programs that provide quality time with adult role models. We also need better e-learning courses so teachers can spend more one-on-one time with students. Properly designed e-learning courses bear no resemblance to boring Zoom classroom lectures. And that's from Ken. Ken, thank you. Um, What you said is right about the work thing. I also think there's enormous value for peers being with peers. And I think that we've lost something with our children with the time they have not been with others of their own ages. And you look at the huge uptick in screen time that kids adopted when they were, you know, in isolation at home. And now that kids are back in school, more or less, most places, the screen time did not go back down. So they've adopted habits that I think are harmful. And as much interaction as we can get with kids, the better. And I think about, and I know I'm going to sound like I'm 900 years old, but when I was a kid, when we were done with school, we played in the neighborhood with neighborhood kids. And we did, you know, we just were out, you know, till time for dinner if we were too young to be working. And the time that kids are spending in isolation on screens, I think is very harmful. And I know there's lots of angles to this, but I do feel there's great, great value. People of similar ages, school kids, having the interaction with each other. A listener wrote in regarding her issues with her lender failing to pay taxes and insurance on time. You failed to mention that she does not have to escrow her taxes and insurance. As long as she has 20% equity, she can pay them on her own. Although the lender will, as you advised, eat the cost of their mistake, it's a time-consuming hassle that can be easily cured by doing it yourself. Thanks for all you do, Allison. Allison, thank you. And I should have mentioned that once you, depending on your loan, and the contract language in it, you may be able to a certain point appraise out of having the lender escrow your insurance and your taxes, or you may at a certain point where you paid enough may be eligible for that, but it all depends on the language in your loan contract. And, you know, those loan documents are quite long, so it's going to take some digging through. Do not take the word of customer no service You want to know what you're allowed to do based on the loan contract you are in for your mortgage. And uh, the time reading those documents could be time really well spent. I was surprised to hear Clark say when discussing his tiny wallet that he only carries cash for tips. I'm sure Clark just forgot to mention that he supports his local small business retailers by using cash only and keeping the bank's hands out of the retailer's pocket. That's from Jerry. Jerry, I am just as guilty as everybody else in using either 
my phone to pay for things, within my case, Google Pay, GPay, or paying with plastic. I don't even process using cash. And yes, I am punishing every retailer I use plastic or use GPay at with them having to pay a 2% typical charge, a little more, a little less, but usually more, in order to process that transaction. It's one of the largest expenses retailers have and businesses have. And I am guilty because the convenience is so extreme. And then the rewards I earn on the backs of your wallet as a business owner, all true. Clark counseled a listener to use cash to buy a car instead of using 1.45% financing. Normally that makes sense, but in an inflationary environment, it is advantageous to borrow the money now and pay it back later. Just a thought. Enjoy the show, Eric. Eric, thank you. And I just have such a bias that if somebody has cash that they've got surplus of, they have no emergency need for it because they've got emergency funds as well. I love being debt-free. I live a completely debt-free existence, have for most of my adult life. It is a blind spot of mine and an obsession with mine that I'm going to naturally default to being debt-free and maybe to excess. So I appreciate that. Um, Something I don't appreciate is when I get to an airport and I I'm back to traveling a lot, almost weekly. And you just don't know what is facing you at security. But there's a new development that could make a big difference that I first talked about being used overseas two, three years ago. I'm going to fill you in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After the September 11th terrorist attacks uh, 20 and a half years ago, The federal government, the Congress, chose as part of all the Homeland Security actions to federalize security. And there are a small number of airports that have privatized security, but for the most part, it's an operation of the TSA. And the TSA is one of those agencies you can just put in front of it long trouble. They've had a very hard time uh, retaining workers. It's a very difficult job. And I think about the people who are looking at the screens, looking at each of your bags, using the 3D imaging. I'll watch them flip things over. It's a job that is absolutely necessary and brutally, brutally boring. And they burn out 
and they leave and they go work somewhere else. And it's one of those fields that even if you doubled the pay, you would have a hard time retaining people because you got a lot of snarling travelers who are throwing attitude. And uh, by the way, just be nice. Don't you love it when you get a great TSA agent, though, that like is a comedian and they're just so full? I mean, that just makes your trip so much better. You know, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, because a lot of people are a lot of people are anxious when they fly anyway. And so they you see some of the worst of them, not the best. Like you refer this expression you use about people's naked backside. Is that clean? (laughs) Showing it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, first on you and me, just be a good person. Like if your next door neighbor saw you mouthing off, would you want that? No, you would not want them to think that that's who you really are, right? Just be chill. Sometimes the people at TSA could uh, be a little friendlier. Sometimes, but many times they're they're very nice and very, as you said, some of them are very funny. Uh, and the reality is the weakest link is somebody being able to not zone out while they're looking at that imaging. Well, as I talked about years ago overseas, they had already developed artificial intelligence technology that was apparently superior at screening bags than a human could, could spot things. And now, finally, the Department of Homeland Security has issued a contract for a test of, a techn- of an artificial intelligence technology that is a foreign company that they're letting try this in the United States, a vetted, safe foreign country. And this would first start with people who've already been vetted through the background checks of global entry or pre-check. So it would not be at regular lanes till they are really able to see if it works. It's going to have to work well. But the idea is you would go through a self-service line for security as is done in other countries. And that's the way it should be because you've got a job that's impossible to do. You're never acknowledged for doing a good job. You're only recognized when you miss something. And I just want you to think about staring at one of those terminals. Can't do it. And this is a case crying out for using modern AI to be able to spot anomalies that then the item goes through your bag, your backpack, whatever, goes to be checked manually by a human. And at first, there'll be things that don't quite work right, except probably not, because this has been in use for a while. And it will deal with the labor shortages of a job that we just can't keep filled and make the lines more reliable and dependable. Um, There's something I mentioned before I want to mention again. For people who are very frequent travelers who were enrolled in global entry, because of the two years of the pandemic, a lot of people, it's kind of slipped your mind that your global entry could be expiring sometime in 22. Well, let me tell you the warning from Department of Homeland Security. If you let 
your global entry expire, which gets you expedited entry at customs and makes you an eligible participant in pre-check. You let it expire, you have to start all over, and it could take you 18 to 24 months to be back in the program. Do I have your attention now? Go check, go find wherever you have your global entry card, see the expiration date on it. You are allowed to renew it up to six months early, but you don't lose those six months when you renew. If you pass, again, an automated test filling out your renewal process, then you'll typically be approved for another five years in about 24 to 48 hours. If there's something about your application that kicks it out and it has to be reviewed by a human, again, that may take 18 to 24 months. Try to imagine, be very careful answering the questions because if you answer something quickly and wrong, that means that instead of having a 24-hour renewal, it could be two years. The good news is that if you have applied before your card is expired, then the termination of your membership is extended until they've reviewed you. So you're still able to use it for that 18 or 24 months while a human is going through the process of reviewing it. So the whole key, know when yours expires. Do you know when yours expires? Uh, I just renewed it two years ago. So I think I'm okay for a little bit. How did you know that? Because um, recently I had to renew my kids and my husband's and I, I double checked mine, but I remembered I had to renew it. So Oh, and there are a lot of credit cards that will pay that fee for you every, once every four or five years. A lot of the travel cards, it's one of their things they wait before you. Even ones that don't have a huge fee will pay that $100 fee for you as a way of luring you into the card. Because remember, they only pay it once every four or five years. So we'll get to some questions now. Deval in Indiana says, hearing your voice brings me joy and reestablishes that there is some good still left in this world. How come you do not talk about these highly priced Legos? Sure, my six-year-old enjoys playing with them and building them. However, one hour of building costs like a fortune. Are there good viable alternatives and will there ever be any competition for this company? So I have three children and only one went through the Lego phase, but Grant was obsessed enough with them when he was a little kid that it was like I had 12 kids go through the Lego phase. So there are bulk sellers of Legos that you can buy. So they're not going to be the kits to build this house or this boat or this truck or whatever, but you can buy the pieces many times used. There are sellers online. There are stores that sell bulk Legos, and that's a way to defray a lot of the cost. And then when your kid grows out of it, then you can turn around and sell them. Why is there no viable competitor to Legos? There have been companies that have tried through the years, but nobody, they have network effect. They're almost like Apple for the MacBooks, the iPhones, the iPads, uh, the iMessage that 
that Ikea, that Ikea, <laughs> that Legos, I always think, I don't know why Legos always makes me think of Ikea. Anyway, um, that Lego has been so successful with network effect that nobody has really established as a viable competitor of them. And then they can price as they wish. It's a parental rite of passage to step on a Lego one time in your life. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. Worst. Yeah. If you've never had kids, you'll never understand <sighs> that pain that you have when you step on a Lego. Yvonne in Florida wrote in and said, my brother needs to borrow $100,000 and wants us to take it out of our retirement funds. What are the risks or tax implications if we decide to do this? Yvonne, this is one of the hardest situations I ever step into when it involves family dynamics. Now, your brother's coming to you because he can't walk into the bank or credit union and borrow $100,000. So often it's called, in financial circles, they call this the bank of mom and dad. In this case, it's the case of you as a sibling. And the risks are many. Number one, that he doesn't pay back. That's the greatest risk when you lend to a family member. You have to be in a financial circumstance that it will not crush you financially if your brother doesn't pay back. Um, if you don't lend your brother the money, he may not ever talk to you again. If you do lend your brother the money and he doesn't pay it back, you may not ever want to talk to him again. Um, it, is, it is really, really a terrible choice you're being asked to make. If this is money you need to live on, ultimately, you cannot do it. You cannot lend the money. I don't care how much you love your brother, you can't do it. Because the harm it would cause to you is too great. As far as the implications, uh, you mentioned uh, tax implications. If you could not pay back, if you did a loan from retirement funds and you couldn't pay it back, that would trigger tax. If you pull the money out of retirement account and you're not old enough, then it will cause huge tax problems for you, including penalties. Yvonne, I'm going to lay it out to you. I am shallow breathing speaking to you about this because I ache for you because this is an impossible thing. My preference is for you uh, to not lend money to a brother unless the reason is so compelling it involves life and death. He needs an operation. He needs the money for it. Um, it would keep him out of jail would be a circumstance. But otherwise, and especially if it's money you actually need to live on, as hard as it is to say and hard as it is to do, you likely need to tell your brother no. Make, make Clark the bad guy. Yeah, say it's all Clark's fault. Just make sure he doesn't know where to find me. <laughs> Mary Beth of Wisconsin says Fidelity would like to have us in mutual funds. A national fiduciary firm says mutual funds have hidden fees and they do not believe in them. 
they create a stock portfolio similar to one large mutual fund. With mutual funds, you pay fund fees plus management. With the advisory, you just have a management fee. Which one is best? So with mutual funds, you don't necessarily pay double fees, particularly with somebody like Fidelity. You buy Fidelity's house funds, and particularly their index ones, you're paying no commissions, and you're paying extraordinarily low fees. The company you're talking to is a very high-fee firm. And yes, they are a fiduciary firm, but it's extremely difficult to overcome their fee structure. They are a very aggressive sales organization, and they promote themselves endlessly, and their salespeople are hyper aggressive trying to convince you they're who you should be with. But I don't believe that over time, their ultra high costs can be overcome with their investment expertise. And to say something bad about Fidelity offends me because Fidelity is one of my favorite children. So you didn't offend me. The salesperson who told you to trash talk Fidelity, that offends me. So I want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And I want you to know that if you have a question that you'd like one-on-one advice for that is a free service of our show you can get one-on-one advice monday through friday from 10 o'clock eastern time in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon eastern time obviously 7 a.m to 1 p.m pacific time and all you do is you call 636-49-CLARK 